take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I've decided to tag this text. Have you prayed it through? Have you prayed it through? Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you have an electronic device, you can open up uh, a Bible app and uh, go to Matthew 7 and follow along with me there. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have a couple of Bibles in the back that we would uh, like you to uh, grab and follow along with us. So just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a, a Bible over here, Brother Troy. And so we'd like everyone to follow along as we consider the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 7, and I want to begin at verse 7 and go down through verse 11. Have you prayed it through? Matthew 7, verse 7. Are you ready for the scripture? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Let's ask God for His help. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Even now as we hear these words, we feel the sin in our nature wanting to reject these precious promises of yours. But for those of us who have been saved by your grace and have received your spirit, you have given us a heart to believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. As we come to your word, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Mahala Jackson, the, the great gospel singer, used to sing these words. I have found the answer. I have learned to pray. With faith to guide me, I have found my way. The sun is shining over me each day. I have found the answer. I've learned to pray. Prayer is one of the most underestimated weapons in the Christian's arsenal. And yet, it is one of those areas of the Christian life that we all desire to improve in. In this simple and profound passage, we hear the Lord Jesus clearly and lovingly coming alongside us to help us in our prayer lives. And do you wish you had a deeper prayer life? Do you, uh, do you give up too soon in prayer? Do you feel like your prayer stamina is weak? I've been given some orders by the doctor to enter into a physical therapy program to deal with my back uh, or else I'm going to have to have surgery. And so I've taken it upon myself to, of course, go that way. And as I've been seeking to deal with my health, I have discovered that my stamina <laughs> is weak. My son took me out on a run a few weeks ago. 
I kept up with him for about a half a block. And then he left me in his trail. And as I was walking and trotting along there, I was thinking, oh, Lord, how weak my body is. Do you feel like your prayer life is like that? It's, it's weak and you want it to be stronger. Do you ever feel like your, your prayer life kind of malfunctions? You know, you, you, you start off good and then all of a sudden something happens. Like when you turn on a computer. Yeah, it powers on, the windows open up, browsers are accessible. Then all of a sudden, something like a, a, a virus-like thought comes into your mind and just slows down everything. And you don't continue in your prayer life as you ought. William Poole, the great Puritan pastor, once asked this probing question in this poem. Have you prayed all night till the break of day and the morning light drove the dark away? Did you linger there till the morning dew in prevailing prayer? Did you pray it through? Did you pray it through till the answer came? There's a promise true for your faith to claim. At the place of prayer, Jesus waits for you. Did you meet him there? Did you pray it through? As the master prayed in the garden loan, let your prayer be made to the Father's throne. If you seek his will, he will answer you. Are you trusting still? Have you prayed it through? I want to show you in this text three headings in the words of Jesus that are meant to come alongside us and help us to pray. First, I want you to see in verse 7 that there is an encouragement to pray. An encouragement to pray it through. Then in verse 8, we will see a promise. A promise that when we pray it through, God answers in a wonderful way. And then third, we will see an illustration to remember as we pray things through. That God is a, a good father and a wise father. And he will only give us good gifts. An encouragement, a promise, and an illustration. You say those three words with me. An encouragement, a promise, and an illustration. That's what we'll see in the text. May the Lord bless us real good today. As the old black preachers used to say. May he bless us real good as we study his word. Now, keep in mind that when we are looking at the word of God, we always should interpret a text within its context. Remember, if you take a text and you try to interpret that text without the context, it becomes a pretext to say anything you wanted to say. Now, we have seen this. We've heard this. You've heard someone Look at this verse and say, well, the Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. So all we have to do is ask in faith. All we have to do is persist. All we have to do is ask God and we will get it. And the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. And so go for it, name it and claim it. You've heard that, right? People who view God in this way. View him like a celestial slot machine, like some magical genie. You just kind of pull the the handle enough times in prayer and call out loud enough and persistent enough and you will get what you want. That thinking falls short of the biblical revelation. Now, this is not the first instruction that Jesus has given us about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. You recall, flip one page back in chapter 6, where he's already warned us at the beginning of the chapter about becoming 
hypocritical pretenders in our prayers. In chapter 6, verse 5, we're taught that when we pray, we are to be sincere. He taught us that we are to make sure in verse 6 that we're to pray in secrecy. In verse 7, that we are to pray in sincerity. We're not to be like pagans using mindless, heartless repetition and empty phrases thinking that we're going to be heard just because we have a lot of words. From that warning in chapter 6, beginning now in verse 8 and 9, Jesus gave us the pattern for prayer. The pattern that pleases God. You recall that we spent quite a bit of time looking at the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. It emphasized the glorifying of his name. Verse 9, the coming of his kingdom. Verse 10, the doing of his will. Verse 10, the supplying of our physical needs by his provision. Verse 11, the seeking of our spiritual needs through his pardon. Verse 12, and the trusting of God for our daily needs by his protection in verse 13. And then Jesus moved from, from there to deal with the issue of fasting. Brother Brigadier covered that in verses 6 through 18. Then we considered the danger of preoccupation with possessions. Brother Robert dealt with that in verses 19 through 24. Then we dealt with the issue of worry as Jesus spoke about how those in his kingdom should respond to anxiety. Brother Brent dealt with that in verses 25 through 34. Then last week, Brother Kinsale stood and dealt with the issue of right judging versus wrong judging in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7. That's a quick recap. Now, what is the link between all that we have said to this point and what Jesus says to us now? This is very important, people. This is very important to see this connection. What is the connection? Here is the connection. There is a relational issue that Jesus wants to deal with. How do we correct but not criticize? How do we discern when to share the good news versus when to withhold that good news because people don't value the gospel? How can we honor God and yet be righteous in our relationships with others? This is not easy. It requires humility. It requires courage. It requires discernment. It requires love. In order to find those things, Jesus tells us how we get them in this passage. He tells us that if we're going to be discerning and humble and obedient and loving and courageous, the only way that we can find those things is through prayer. Prayer. You have to learn how to pray it through. I have to learn how to pray it through. And we can find all that we need from God in prayer. As the Master prayed in the garden alone, let your prayers be made to the Father's throne. If you seek His will, He will answer you. Are you trusting still? Did you pray it through? Let's look at these words together. First of all, an encouragement. Verse 7. Let your eyes drop to the page. I'd like you to notice carefully that in this opening verse, Jesus forcefully seeks to imprint this encouragement into our minds. How does he do it? He does it by connecting promises to direct commands. Verse 7. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. 
Knock, and it will be open. What are the commands? Ask, seek, knock. You should underline that in your Bible. You should underline that and circle it and put a little C out there or command. Those are the commands. What are the promises? Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it'll be open. This is a truly effective way for helping us to do what he has commanded us to do. Now listen, this works. If I say to my sons at home, empty the trash, i got to say it again <laughs> and again. And then like the third time I have to come in there and say, Damn, did you hear me? Uh, oh yeah, Dad, I heard you. No, you, you may have heard me, but you're not listening. And I just give them a command. It doesn't motivate them whatsoever. But if I were to say to them, empty the trash. And if you do, we'll go grab an In-N-Out burger afterwards. Their response is pretty quick. Because I've connected a promise to a command. This is what Jesus is doing for us here in this passage. He's encouraging us to pray by linking the two. John Calvin, the Genevan reformer, the expository genius, once said, Nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we will be heard. Now, if you work with someone, perhaps you're married to someone, who doesn't listen to you. It doesn't motivate you to share your concerns with them, does it? Because you know they're just going to ignore what you say. But when you are convinced that this person with whom you are sharing not only listens to you, but they're concerned about you. And not only are they concerned about you, but they're ready to answer and to help then it becomes a motivation to share. Does it not? Well, this is what we find here. Jesus begins by giving us a triple command in prayer. A triple command. Ask. Seek. Knock. What do these terms mean? Let's take them one by one. First of all, I'd like you to notice the word ask in the text. It is the word that is used for for a beggar, when a beggar is asking for charity. It's also a word that's used for someone who is pleading a case before a judge. They're looking for the mercy of the judge, the leniency of the judge, and they're standing before a judge saying, please have mercy, give grace, give justice. But it's also a word that is used for making a petition from, from an inferior person to a superior person. When Jesus uses these, this word here, to ask, he is telling us to beg, to plead, but not as a beggar and not as a plaintiff. But he is saying, I want you to ask like a child, like a child speaking to their parent. These words are designed, or this word is designed to remind us of the humility and the dependence and the expectation that we're to have when we ask for God, ask God for something in prayer. Are y'all listening? When we come to God, we're to humbly make this request. Lord, help me. Jesus, I need help. Lord, would you? And expect him to answer. Now, why do we need to ask God if he already knows what we need? Does God and his giving depend upon our asking? Not at all. God is not ignorant of our needs, nor does he wait to be informed by any of us. Can I get a witness here? 
God is not reluctant. And we don't need to persuade God of anything. The reason we are commanded to ask is because it has to do with us, not God. In other words, it has to do with our readiness to receive, not so much with his readiness to give. You see, in prayer, we are not seeking to prevail upon God. Actually, what is happening is that we are prevailing upon ourselves to submit to God. Now, some of you, I know some of you are automatically running to verses in the Bible and you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor, the ideal of prevailing upon God is in Scripture. And I say, yes, it is in two places, Luke 18 and Genesis 32. But when those examples of prevailing upon God are given in Scripture, it is never seeking to suggest that we can prevail upon God, but it's actually teaching that God accommodates to our weakness. For example, you remember that occasion in Genesis 32 with Jacob? Jacob is seeking to wrestle with the stranger and he prevailed upon God, what really happened? What really happened was that Jacob surrendered to God and he received the blessing that God already planned to give him in the first place. He didn't have to try to strong-arm God, and neither do we. We cannot. But we need to learn to submit to God. And when we do, ah, we get what God already planned for us to have in the first place. See, God never spoils his children. He never does it. We do. God does not. He waits He recognizes, he helps us to recognize our need, and then he provides. James 1, 5 puts it this way. If any of you lack wisdom, let him do what? Ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not, you don't ask. You don't prevail upon yourself to submit to God. So what are you asking for God or from God today? What are you asking for? What are you pleading, begging, humbly Asking God for. Anything? Anything? Secondly, notice the word seek. Now, this is the same word that is used here for an active searching. An active searching to get an answer. To get a favorable reply. It really means to, to attempt to learn something by careful investigation and by careful searching. That's the word. Now, we all understand what this word means when we search Google. We try to find some location or find some answer to something we seek. We, we search for it using technology. And for some of us who are not that technically savvy, we go get a book. Uh, perhaps we watch a video. But we're searching to get an answer. That's the ideal here. The ideal is that God wants us to have a single-minded focus to get the answer that we need. Now, if asking means that we are to humble ourselves before God, seeking means this. It means acting or asking plus 
acting. It's asking plus acting. This word seeking here tells us that when we are acting, we are rearranging our priorities. And that's what we do when we seek. We say, wait a minute, I need to find this answer. I can't talk to you right now. I'll get back with you later. I've got to find this answer. Are you all with me? When we're seeking for something, we rearrange situations in our schedule and our preferences because we've got to find an answer to this. And that's the ideal. A good illustration of this is given in Jesus' analogy in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, and this merchant is doing something. What is he doing? Seeking, there's the word, seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, And bought it. Can you imagine in your mind's eye? This pearl merchant. Going over into the areas of Asia. Or India. Seeking for pearls. Does he have time to watch cricket? Does he have time to sit around. And just ponder things? No. He is seeking pearls. He is rearranging his priorities. So that he might find something of value. Or think about the story that Jesus told about the woman searching for a lost coin. John chapter 15, or Luke 15, Luke 15 verse 8. Or what woman, Jesus said, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and does what? Search Carefully, that's the same term as seek. Search carefully until she what? Ah, can you see that picture? I was sharing with Jody this week as uh, we were thinking about illustrations for this message that I didn't want to sound sexist here, but certainly I think there's a reason why Jesus said that a woman continues to search for that one lost coin. Women are pretty... Uh, conservative in that way and careful, want to preserve and be good stewards. A, a man might, but a woman surely will. And she'll be very careful to search for it until she finds it. That's the idea. You get the point? Do you priorita- prioritize prayer? Do you put off some things and rearrange your schedule so that you might search for God's will? Find his grace. Gain his benefit. All right. Full stop. I need to come into your living room for a moment. Could it be that the reason perhaps that you are not finding is because you're not seeking? You ask. And if you don't receive it when you ask, you stop. And God may be wanting you to seek. But you won't rearrange anything in your schedule. Everything else comes before his benefit, his grace, his wisdom. The Puritan Thomas Manton once said, if we don't receive by asking... Let us find by seeking. And if we don't receive by asking and find by seeking, then let us do what? Knock. That's the third word. This is the same word that one would use for pounding. For pounding. It's a word that it actually comes to us from a German word which means to press. It means to press. Now this word knock here isn't a quiet, little polite, little tap. No, but rather it's a repeated rap of the knuckles, a pop 
of the knuckles of banging on the door. That's the term. When you really want to get into some place, you knock and then you wait. And then you knock again. And then you say, well, brother, I know you're in there. I can see shadows. <laughs> I, can, I can hear voices in there. I know you're in there. And you wait. And then you shout out, listen, I'm going to stay right here until you come, brother. I really need to talk to you. You stay right there. Now, if you're on the other side of the door, then you know how annoying that can be. Jesus actually tells a story like this, doesn't he? In Luke chapter 11, he tells of a friend who found himself breadless with mouths to feed. He was in the middle of the night. He didn't know where to turn. He remembered he had a friend, a neighbor next door. His neighbor had bread. He goes to his neighbor's house at midnight. He begins to pound on the door. Friend, give me some bread. The friend says, listen, I'm asleep and my children are in bed. Did that deter him? No, it did not. No, it did not. He kept on pounding. He kept on pounding because he needs that bread. He needs that bread. And so he pounds and pounds and pounds until his friend gets up, gives him what he needs, and he goes back to sleep. He's persistent. All right. What are we saying here? Jesus is teaching us here that it's important for us to be persistent in prayer. So since confession is good for the soul, can we stop right here and confess that we have disobeyed God at this point? That we have not asked many times Sometimes we asked and didn't seek. And even if we sought and didn't get an answer right away, we refused to knock. Can we just confess that we've been guilty of not obeying God at this point? Can we get real about this matter? Sometimes we just got to throw prayers up, Right? And hope that they'll be answered. And then we stop. I wonder how many blessings have gone past my life. Gone past this church. Because we didn't persevere in prayer. Because we said something else matters more. Some worldly pursuit, some carnal desire. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to forego that fellowship. I'm going to forego that preference. Because I need to keep seeking the Lord here. I need His will. I need this answer. I need God's power here. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the importance of this element cannot be exaggerated. The most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. When I was in Bible college, one of my professors said to me, if you want to get to the root of of an issue, Marvin. Don't ask the question how. Ask the question why. And if we ask the why question here, Jesus, why are you commanding us to ask and to seek and to knock? We find the root issue. Jesus is giving us not just a triple command to obey, but Jesus is giving us a clear pattern to follow. That's your second point. A clear pattern to follow. He is not seeking to get us to just repeat, 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 but he is seeking to help us to intensify our prayers. 
to intensify. The stacking of these words are extremely forceful. They are present imperatives in the Greek language, which means that we are to to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. We are to ask, yes, but we are to do more than that. We are to seek, but we are to do more than that. We are to knock, but we are to do more than that. We are being taught here by Jesus that we are to passionately persist in prayer. He said, Pastor, I can't just sit around and pray all the time. I got so much to do. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, spent each morning three hours in prayer. And he said, I must pray because I have so much to do. We persevere in prayer when our children are sick. Don't we? Our kids get sick. Do you just pray once and leave it alone? Parents, come on, help me here. I mean, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm, Lord, help, help him. Help him feel better. And then I'm praying again. Lord, I, I know I don't deserve this, but hey, please help him. And I'm praying more. Lord, um, if I could take it upon myself, I'll take it, Lord. But would you, would you help him, Lord? Help him. I feel for him, Lord. Help him. I cannot, I cannot heal him. And I'm praying all the way through. Or say, for instance, we're in trouble financially. We're praying. We're praying. Say we're facing a situation, a tough task. Perhaps a promotion at work. And we're wanting that promotion. Do you just pray once about it? No, no, you're praying. You're praying. You're praying. It's easy to pray. When you want something. But are you persisting? Am I persisting in prayer? For my own spiritual growth. Am I, am I praying persistently? Seeking, knocking for a pure heart. Lord, I want my heart to be pure. Pure, Lord. Pure. Holy. Lord, I need my attitude changed. My attitude of anger. My attitude of criticism. Lord, I need that changed in my life. Is anyone hearing me in here today? So, let me try to wrap this point up. I've labored hard on this point. But let me try to drive it home for you this way. Asking is level one. It's it's just quietly whispering into your Whispering to God in your heart, Lord, I need your help. I'm nervous, I'm scared, I, I'm frustrated, I need your help, Lord, help. I found myself praying that way this morning. Lord, help, help me. Ah, but you see, if asking does not appear to succeed, then level two is seeking. Seeking is level two of action. It's asking plus acting. And what God may be calling many of us here to do is to seek some practical action. To go to your Bible. To call up a deacon, an elder, a pastor, a brother or sister in the Lord. To ask them to pray with you about it. He may be calling you to just sit for a while and and take his word and meditate on it. But if your seeking does not bring the answer, then level three then is the knocking. And this is where we persevere. And God may be calling some of us to use more than our voice. But to persevere in prayer by not only seeking counsel and maybe going to our Bibles, but perhaps fasting. You remember those disciples, they tried to cast a demon out of a man and they could not do it. 
They brought the man to Jesus. Jesus cast the demon out of the man. They asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Jesus said, this kind comes out by prayer and... There are some spiritual issues that we're dealing with that we're not overcoming because we're refusing to knock. You say, Pastor, I already feel defeated because I know I will start off and I will try to follow these steps and I know I'm going to just fizzle out. In a day or two, maybe a week, I'm going to fizzle out. You ask, Pastor, is there any help? Is there any incentive that, that Jesus would give me to keep pressing on? Any motivation? Thank you for asking. He does. He gives us, number two, a promise. A promise. When we pray it through. Verse 8. Did you notice it? Look at it with me in verse 8. Don't miss it. For everyone who asks... Oh, come on, church. We got guests in the place. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, and to him who knocks, who is this promise given to? Can you look at verse 8? Who is this promise given to? Say it again. One more time. Everyone. Now let's ask the why question. Why does Jesus give us this promise? Because he wants us to understand that our Father is not only listening and, and willing to provide, but our Father is is able to provide. Can you imagine being on the slopes of that that mountain in the New Testament day and hearing these words? Can you imagine that? Would you get on the scene with me? You're, you're, You're on that mountain and Jesus is speaking these words. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, Receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it shall be opened. What would you be thinking? I believe there are three mindsets, perhaps in those crowds that are represented in this church this morning. Uh, The first mindset is this. Some would be saying, are you kidding me? That's my son's favorite saying. Are you kidding me? I told him I'm going to get a t-shirt with that on the front of it. Are you kidding me? That's what people do today. They come up with a little line and put it on a t-shirt and sell it and make hundreds of dollars. This is the person who is saying, Lord, you've got to be kidding. Do you know what I did last night? Lord, you've got to be kidding. I I, I don't deserve that kind of answer to prayer. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't witnessed. I haven't given anything. I'm... I don't deserve that kind of answer. Are you kidding me? Here's an encouraging word for you. There's a second mindset in this crowd, and it's the mindset that says it's about time. There's some of you who say that privately in your heart. Well, yes, Lord, it's about time. I've been looking for my reward I've been serving for a long time. I'm a good student. I'm a good father. I'm a good wife. I'm a a good worker in the church. I'm an elder, a deacon, a servant. I've been faithful. Surely I need to get my blessing. But of course, this mindset is like the self-righteous Pharisee. But there's another mindset in this crowd, not just the are you kidding me or it's about time, but there's another mindset in this crowd represented in this church today. And it's the mindset of astonished silence. We know this from verse 28. If you let your eyes drop over to verse 28, it says when Jesus finished these words, the crowd was amazed at his teaching. This is the person who is honestly asking in his heart and mind. Could this be true? 
Are you really making me this promise? It, it's it's kind of like the look on the faces of those people who win the publisher, publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Now, I'm not encouraging any of you to participate in it or to play the lottery, but this is the, this is the sense of astonishment. It's like, $5,000 a week for life? Some in the crowd had that mindset when Jesus said these words. It's like, what? Everyone? You mean me? This is a promise without exception. The pronoun everyone here that is used is the broadest term that Jesus could use. Some versions use the word whoever. But the inclusiveness is reemphasized by the phrase everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, he who knocks, to him who knocks it shall be opened. Which is to say that of all of those who obey those commands, not a single one will be disappointed. So if you ask and keep asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, you will not be disappointed. This is a precious promise to every sincere believer in the Lord. And the very fact that we're having to wrestle so much to embrace this truth is an indictment on our own hearts. Regardless of your youth or your age or your knowledge or your experience, this applies to every saint, every child of God. It is a promise without exception. You said, Pastor, I failed last night. This is a promise for you. But it's also a promise with conditions. Because see, I, earlier I told you that we can't interpret a text without a context. Well, you should never interpret a text without the context of the Bible. And we all know that there are passages in the Bible that tell us clearly that if we pray with wrong motives, we shall not be answered. That if we pray and ignore sin, we will not be answered. Psalm 66 verse 18. If we pray while ignoring scripture, we shall not be heard. If we pray with unforgiveness in our hearts, we shall not be heard. If we pray with doubt in our hearts, James 1, we shall not be heard. On the flip side, if we go to the Father through the Son, we can be heard. That if we go to the Father in faith, for without faith it's impossible to please God. But if we go to God in faith, having confessed our sin, considered the scripture, believing God, if we go to him, he will answer. And I love 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will. He what? He what? He hears us. He hears us and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know we shall have the requests which we have asked of him. So Spurgeon put it wisely when he said, Prayers go to heaven in a revised version. And that's true, isn't it? Last but not least, let's uh, spend our remaining time on the illustration. Jesus gives us an illustration that as we pray it through, that we should always remember and this will help us. Are you ready for the illustration? It's one that we can all understand. It's a family illustration. Verse 9. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he... Give him a snake. He will not give him a snake, will he? You know what illustrations are like? They're like windows that you can look through to find insight. And Jesus gives us an illustration here that we can all understand. Right? 
It's a family illustration. If you are not a parent, you have a parent, right? So you can understand this. Jesus simply gave this family parable, and when he did, everyone who heard him that day knew exactly what he was saying. Why? Because he was giving an illustration of a child making a request from their parent. It's simple, is it not? Would you look at it again? Simple but striking. If a child comes to you with a request for food, will you give that child something like it, but that is dangerously different? You see, bread in that day was a a, a flat, stone-like in appearance. But would you give your child a river rock instead of a piece of bread? I mean, would you deceive your child like that? Would you? If your little boy is hungry and he comes to you not asking for a steak, but just a McDonald's Happy Meal... Or even something simpler. Can I have a piece of bread? Will you simply say to the boy, here's a stone, now go chew on that and be happy. Would you do that? See, you all shake your heads like, come on now. I mean, pastor, that would be what? Heartless. But Jesus then takes the illustration and he presses it a little further. He says, now what if they ask you for a piece of fish? Will you give them a rattlesnake? Here's the point. If your child asks you for something wholesome, will you give them something unwholesome? If your child asks you for something that is good, will you give them something inedible or harmful? These are obviously rhetorical questions, right? They anticipate the answer. Will a parent do that to their own child? No. Why? Because parents love their children. Yes? Yes? We love our children. The knuckleheads that they can be. We love them still. Amen? We love them. Now, what parent would do that to a child? Give them something that is harmful. An irresponsible and evil parent. Hang on to that. Next line. Jesus said, if you then, being evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. Stop. Full stop. Don't let that statement slip by you. Jesus points out the inherent sinfulness of mankind. Jesus doesn't deny, listen carefully, he doesn't deny that being bad and being an evil person, you can't do good things. He acknowledges That even parents that are inherently evil and fallen are capable of doing good things with those noble instincts that they have. They still don't escape the designation of being evil. But he says, if you are fallen and you still have the noble instinct of doing good to your children... How much more? He argues from the lesser to the greater. He is not trying to to make a, a contrast. or He's not trying to compare. He's more giving a contrast. In other words, Jesus is not saying, as human parents give good gifts to their children, so your heavenly father gives good gifts to his. He's not doing that. This is what he is saying. If you who are evil, the lesser, 
know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give what is good to those who ask Him? The arguments are simple, and I have run out of time to give a full explanation of these. But what Jesus is telling us to do is, number one, consider the goodness of God. Think about the goodness of God. The um, biographer for Hudson Taylor, one of the founding fathers of modern missions, once wrote about Hudson Taylor, there is no title that Hudson Taylor more loved to use for God than Father. And there was no attitude that he more rejoiced to adopt than that of a trusting child. I'm taking my children with me, he wrote shortly before leaving England. And I noticed that it is not difficult for me to remember that the little ones need breakfast in the morning, dinner, at midday, and something before they go to bed at night. Indeed, I could not forget it. I find it impossible to suppose that our Heavenly Father is less tender or mindful than I. I do not believe, he wrote, that our Heavenly Father will ever forget His children. Can we forget our children? You say no, right? You say, I can never forgive my children. Jeremiah 49 verse 15 puts it this way. God is speaking. And he said, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, meaning your safety, is continually before me. God says you might forget, but he never will. Said, Pastor, I know you've been away for a long time, but you need to stop. You know, you 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 need to stop. I I know I I got a lot I want to say, but are you getting this? You see, Jesus is telling us here that God is good, and all the time. That's what he's saying. As we close this message, I will give you the second argument, and that is the wisdom of God. Because God not only gives what is good, but he is wise and he knows how to give and when to give and which gifts are best. What if a, what if a knuckle-headed, rebellious child comes and asks for a stone? Will you give it to him? You see, God doesn't give us things that will be hurtful to us or harmful to others. And if a child comes and asks for a serpent, you're not going to give it to him. But you know, sometimes we ask God for things that are not good for us. You say, not me, Pastor. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Listen, you know, have you, not, have you not prayed sometimes for something that you knew wasn't good for you, but you wanted it anyway? You're driving down the freeway. You're going to make me illustrate this point. You're going to make me press it if you don't answer. You're driving down the freeway. Someone cuts you off. 
Are you not tempted to pray, Lord, I hope they... Or, you know, your child or relative who you've been giving so much to shows so much disgratitude and they're ungrateful. Are you not tempted to pray, Lord? But see, God doesn't answer those prayers. He doesn't give you what is harmful to you or hurtful to each others because he's a good, good father. God never errs, human fathers do. God never makes a mistake, human fathers do. God knows much more than we do. He cares much more than we care. He's much richer than we are. And he is far more willing to answer our prayers than we are to have them answered. And so as we conclude our time together, what God wants you to know is that you need some knowledge. You need knowledge when you pray. Because God only gives according to his will. And if God only gives good gifts, then we need to know what the good is so that we can ask for only the good. Can I get a witness here? We need some knowledge. We need to let the Bible inform our prayers. We need to study. We need to be in discipleship. We need to increase in the knowledge of God so that as we pray and meditate on God's word, we pray according to God's will. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. We need the word of God to help us to pray. Number two, Jesus is saying you need faith. You need faith. Knowing God's will is one thing. But we must humble ourselves and acknowledge him and pray and keep on praying. To ask and keep on asking. To seek and keep on seeking. To knock and keep on knocking. We need faith for that, right? And prayer is nothing but an an admission. An open admission that God, I can't do this without you. I can't, I can't do it. Jesus says we need knowledge, we need faith, but last, we need desire. We need desire. One of the ways that we show that we want something is that we persevere, right? We persevere. We want it And we look to Jesus for it. And we continue to look to him for it. And so do you commit yourself today to praying it through? Don't just stop at the ask point. If you ask and God gives it to you, bless God for it. But if you ask and he doesn't give, keep seeking. And if he gives it after seeking, bless God for it. And if he doesn't give it after seeking, knock. And all the while, submitting yourself to God. Submitting yourself to God. Either he will answer you or change your heart to come into line with his will. Either way, his will be done. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We bow our heads now. I've had all week to meditate on this, but I know many who are listening to me have not. So would you in this very moment give them the ability to think about what they've heard through This multitude of words, Lord, help them to take the meat, spit out the bones, 
and to apply this to their own hearts. Lord, forgive us for the weakness of our prayer stamina. We know that without you, Jesus, we can do nothing of any spiritual consequence. We can do nothing of any eternal value. We can do nothing of any spiritual good. Lord, we bring before you loved ones who need to be saved inside of our family and friends outside of our family. We ask, Lord, that you would have mercy upon their souls and bring them into the kingdom. Lord, we pray for our own character weaknesses where there's areas where, Lord, we need to grow. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to overcome. Would you transform us in that area of weakness, whether it's patience or love or action? Lord, as a church family, we know that there are strongholds in our community that will only be overcome through prayer and fasting. Lord, how much do we want to really see people saved and born again? Help us, Lord, to obey your commands, not so that people might see but that you might hear and be honored to answer. This we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.